Time to uh, begin our, our Bible class at this, uh, at this time. So thankful for your attendance here as we continue to uh, study this topic of Christian apologetics. And we're going to be uh, moving into a sort of phase three of this topic as we've, you know, we've already discussed the, uh, uh, is, God, um, is God real? You know, we, we talked about that for a couple of weeks and how we can know those things. And then we moved into the inspiration of the scriptures uh, for the past four weeks. We, we looked at a lot of uh, different aspects as to you know, how we know the Bible to be uh, inspired fully by God. Uh, looking at prophecy and scientific foreknowledge and all those things that in Scripture, uh, we know that no man could have known at that time, you know, proves the existence uh, of God and also that the Bible was uh, handed down to man in a, uh, a truthful way and, uh, again, divine way, godly way. And so uh, this third pillar of Christian apologetics that we want to discuss for the next few weeks is the deity of Christ, right? Um, Again, this is another aspect that uh, the world uh, just, uh, some people in the world just cannot uh, grasp uh, that this man uh, by the name of Jesus Christ actually lived and that there was a historical figure uh, in time that, uh, you know, some 2,000 years ago that lived on this earth. You know, uh, is he fact or is he fairy tale? Again, that's what we want to discuss in these next couple of weeks. You know, uh, you know most children and adults, uh, whether they uh, attend church or not, you know, they've probably heard of the name Jesus Christ at some point in their lives. Um, and many can even tell you some accounts within Scripture about this man, uh, Jesus. Again, uh, maybe they never grew up in a church of any sort of denomination or never read the Bible. But because of uh, maybe um, television or their friends or family, they know something of this individual. But we also understand that there are people who uh, know something of you know, Peter Pan. And Snow White and, and Cinderella, right? And, and that's for the same reason. You know, they can uh, read about them in a storybook or they can watch a movie based on the, their lives. Um, but it, again, we want to make sure that we understand that, you know, Jesus does not fit in that uh, category. Is Jesus of Nazareth a fictional character uh, that desires, uh, or excuse me, that deserves to be included in a list of fictional characters? From, from the books or movies. Uh, again, we, we are going to discuss that in the next uh, few weeks uh, because there are some, again, that propose that Jesus is a myth, that he was a legend, that, that he never existed on earth. You know, when we uh, look through our, our Bibles, you know, all uh, 66 books, you know, there's no book uh, written by uh, you know, directly by Jesus Christ, right? Uh, all of them are written by his apostles or, or the prophets or other uh, inspired individuals through scripture. You know, we don't have a tomb uh, that we can go to and physically say that's where the body of Jesus lies because, of course, uh, you know, we understand that he was raised from the dead, uh, but there's no, there's no tomb or we can't know what tomb uh, he was actually laid at. There's no DNA evidence, uh, so, so how do we know? Uh, what evidence do we have 
this this morning as we discuss these things again uh, you know thinking about you know wanting to put that pebble in someone's shoe again uh, someone who might not believe in the deity of Christ or might not believe in Christianity what can we do to put that pebble in their shoe to start thinking about those things and to come to the conclusion that Jesus uh, says or Jesus is who he says he is or what scripture says to them uh, about him. So what evidence is available to prove that Jesus actually walked on the earth? And we're going to talk about three uh, specific categories uh, this morning, a secular uh, testimony, biblical testimony and circumstantial uh, testimony or evidence uh, that we can see uh, that proves this, uh, that proves these things. You know, there are some religi- religious movements uh, in, in the world. Uh, we, we understand that they, they require no historical basis. Right? They're, they're founded upon ideas rather than events. And that's what makes Christianity so unique uh, is because, you know, uh, the fact that Christ died and was raised from the dead and that those things are um, historically uh, 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 provided for us in other different types of writings uh, that we can know right, that, that Christianity is not some myth or made up thing. You know, think about this. What sort of evidence um, would it take to prove that you existed? You know, think of 200 years in the future. Uh, maybe your birth certificate uh, was burned in a fire or the, you know, the, the server which had all that information crashed and everything, even the backups were destroyed and there's no uh, record of your existence. How can you prove to someone 200 years in the future uh, that you existed? Right? And so that's what we want to think about as we uh, go through these different uh, types of evidences of the deity of Christ. And so, again, the first one is going to be a secular testimony. And, and this is kind of ironic because some of the best evidences we have comes from hostile witnesses. What do you think I mean by when I say hostile witnesses? Negative uh, against Christianity. You know, these are individuals who wrote against uh, Christ, who uh, wrote against Christianity. Um, They disliked Jesus and his followers. Their aims weren't to further his cause uh, or to help others to believe in him, but they rejected his teachings. They they reviled him. Uh, But that actually comes to be some of our greatest evidences that we have to see that he exists. I got three names of um, individuals who lived in or around the first century. The first one, uh, a man by the name of Tacitus. Uh, He lived from A.D. 56 to A.D. 117. So obviously with Jesus dying around A.D. 30 or 33, depending on which calendar you use, uh, we know that he he lived around 20 years uh, or he was born about 20 years after uh, the death of Jesus, so he's well within that time frame of knowing individuals who would have known Jesus, and so uh, he was an upper class Roman. Uh, again, th- these three individuals are, are Romans, and uh, he uh, he was raised in a good education. He had a governmental position, and he famously wrote this book called the Annals, which was this history of Rome in uh, AD one fifteen. Now, one of the interesting things that he wrote about in his book was about this great fire that happened um, in Rome in AD 64. Uh, There was this great fire that took place, 
And a lot of the speculation was is that Nero, uh, who was the emperor at the time, uh, set the fire himself uh, because he wanted to uh, expand his kingdom and he wanted some you know, bigger and better projects built. And so a lot of speculation, speculation came that he set this fire uh, himself so that uh, you know, he could uh, have the means to um, begin building, recreating his kingdom. But what he did was uh, he blamed the Christians. He blamed the Christians for setting this fire. And so notice uh, I've got a couple of quotes that I want to read to you. Uh, maybe I should have put those on the board for you as well. But uh, let's listen to what Tacitus uh, writes uh, about this event. Uh, he said, Nero fabricated scapegoats and punished with every refinement the notoriously depraved Christians, as they were popular, popularly called. Their originator, Christ, had been executed in Tiberius's reign by the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilatus. But in spite of this testimony, or excuse me, but in spite of this temporary setback, the deadly superstition has broken out afresh, not only in Judea, where the mischief had started, but even in Rome. Again, we have a man by the name of Tacitus, who was a Roman, who had nothing to do with Christianity, who, who reviled it, but he wrote historical information that, that gives us a glimpse into what was going on uh, at that time. And he specifically talked about this man, the Christ, and his followers, Christians. And so with his testimony, again, it's establishing beyond a reasonable doubt that the Christian religion was historically relevant and that Christ was a historical figure. Suetonius, uh, here's another man. He wrote about A.D. 120, so a little bit later, but he wrote uh, some history books, and uh, twice in his history books, he, he mentions Christ. Uh, this first one, he said, this first quote, he says, Because of the Jews at Rome caused continuous disturbance at the instigation of Christos, which, which is Christ, he, Claudius, expelled them from the city. Okay, so Suetonius is writing uh, about an instance. Where, where Christians were expelled from uh, Rome. And again, this is historical information. This isn't in the Bible. But we can verify, actually, this account within Scripture because in Acts chapter 18, Paul uh, comes to Corinth uh, during his third missionary journey. And it says here in, in Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 1, it says, After these things he left Athens and went to Corinth. Uh, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Uh, he came to them and became as he was of the same trade. He stayed with them and they were working for by trade. They were tent makers. And so even in scripture, in the book of Acts, we have this record of Paul meeting Aquila and Priscilla for the first time. And noticing that Aquila and Priscilla were actually those who, who had lived uh, in, uh, in and about Rome and Italy. And they came uh, to Corinth, and this is where Paul met up with them. And you know they, they happened to notice that they were both of the same profession, uh, tent makers. But you know, isn't it interesting that we have a recorded for us in history by Suetonius 
uh, talking about this of uh, the same event that scripture uh, refers to uh, of the Jews in Rome, you know, being persecuted and 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 uh, sent out. And he's and he's not Suetonius, uh, even though he uses the word Jews, you know, he, he's referring to the Christians because to the Romans, you know, they were sort of one in the same. Uh, they they didn't understand that Christianity was was not Judaism, so a lot of times they you know mix them uh, together. Another quote that he said in his writings, he said, Punishments were also inflicted on the Christians, a sect professing a new and mischievous religious belief. You know, again, the, these men uh, that were working for the Roman government or, uh, you know, authors, uh, historians in the Roman Empire, they didn't look too kindly towards uh, Christianity. But time and time again, when, when they're writing about their hatred for them, they are verifying for us that Christ lived, that he was a real historical figure, uh, Pliny the Younger. I didn't record uh, his specific uh, quote, but again, this is a man, a Roman, who wrote around uh, AD 110, and he used the term Christian or Christian seven times in, in one of his reports and Christ three times. Again, another witness for us that Jesus Christ lived on the earth uh, some 2,000 years ago. And again, you know, they're never going to portray Jesus as the Son of God or as deity or as Savior. And of course, we, we understand they're greatly mistaken about who he is. Uh, but this documentation, again, it verifies for us that he existed so not only do we have you know, the Roman uh, viewpoint or the hostile witnesses, but even with, uh, in Jewish history, we also see these uh, records and evidences of, uh, of Jesus. Uh, the Jews had uh, what they referred to or called the Mishnah. And, uh, and, then, and the Mishnah was the sacred book of, uh, of writings of their famous rabbis over time that they compiled you know, they, they put it up there, you know, next to Scripture, not as Scripture, but, I mean, it was important to them. And then there was another book that was sort of, you know, their commentary on the Mishnah. And so when you combine those two books, it's called the Talmud. So maybe you've heard those references before in the, in the Jewish culture, the Mishnah or Talmud. But within these, uh, these books, these, again, these collection of writings of rabbis from old, you know, if a, if a man like Jesus existed... Uh, you know, surely the rabbis would have written about him. It would have said something about him. Uh, because, you know, who did Jesus confront a lot of times uh, during the gospel accounts uh, when he was, uh, you know, uh, talking to others about uh, religion? Who did he often go to, or who did he often speak to? The Jews. And uh, more specifically, you know, the Pharisees or, or these individuals who would have been rabbis, they would have been termed, you know, the, 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 you know, the doctorates and the theological experts of the time. Right? These are the people that Jesus would, would go to and discuss things and debate them. And, you know, and he would win every uh, single time. Well, listen to what uh, this this instance in again, in their in their writings uh, of the uh, of the Mishnah it says, according to the earlier rabbis whose opinions are recorded in these writings, Jesus of Nazareth was a transgressor in Israel who practiced magic, scored the words of the wise, led the people astray, 
and said that he had not come to destroy the law, but to add to it. He was hanged on Passover Eve for heresy and misleading the people. His disciples, of whom five are named, healed the sick in his name. You know, again, we have another quote, uh, this time from the Jewish historians. Uh, Again, those who uh, would not have taken favorably to Jesus during that time, because, again, Jesus was, you know, he was converting individuals left and right away from Judaism, which uh, he had uh, or he was going to uh, right uh, nailed to the cross through his death uh, to um, to repent for the time is coming, of course, uh, through his death and resurrection. And then the day of Pentecost, when, when the church would begin, uh, they um, they did not have great things to say about Jesus either. But again, in, in these writings, they are uh, stating the fact that there was a Jesus of Nazareth. That, that he was hanged on Passover Eve. And, you know, a lot of, uh, I should say this uh, before we go any further, a lot of times, you know, his, uh, people will say Jesus was hanged. Uh, that, that doesn't mean uh, hanging with a noose or anything like that, but that was, you know, being hanged on a tree was the same as being crucified, being nailed to a cross. And so they historically uh, state those things for us, that, that Jesus was hanged on Passover Eve, and that he was uh, you know, converting individuals and that his followers were, were healing the sick in his name. Uh, again, these were individuals who refused to accept Jesus Christ as the Son of God. But again, they are uh, letting us know through this testimony that he existed. Uh, Josephus uh, was a historian of uh, Jewish uh, history. Uh, he was born AD 37. So again, you know, he's right in that time frame. Um, he's probably, uh, he's the most recognizable name uh, in Jewish uh, history. And he wrote a lot of different historical books. And here's what Josephus said. He said, and there arose about this time, Jesus, a wise man. If indeed we should call him a man, for he was a doer of marvelous deeds, a teacher of men who received the truth with pleasure. He led away many Jews and also Greeks. This man was the Christ. And when Pilate had condemned him to the cross on his impeachment by the chief men among us, those who had loved him at first did not cease. For he appeared to them on the third day alive again, the divine prophets having spoken these and thousands of other wonderful things about him. And even now the tribe of Christians so named after him has not yet died out. Again, Jesus, or excuse me, Josephus was not a Christian. You know, he had no reason to help the cause of Christ, but he still included Jesus's name in in historical books for one reason. Right. Because Jesus is a real historical uh, person. And so that's what we can see uh, throughout secular history uh, and secular uh, evidence. Uh, Let's notice the second one, biblical evidence. And this one we're going to go into a lot more in the next couple of weeks as we look at to see what the scriptures uh, say uh, about Jesus, but externally, outside of uh, the Bible, you know, think about this. If Christ never really lived on the earth, what does that do uh, for the scriptures? Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Uh, notice what uh, the Hebrews writer said here. He said, uh, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things. As we are, yet without sin. 
What a great verse that reminds us that Jesus you know, came to earth. He lived a life like you and I, being tempted in all ways, though he never sinned. And because of that, he is our great high priest. Um, he can sympathize with our weaknesses. And so if, uh, you know, if, if Christ never existed, then, then what do the scriptures, what meaning do they have? Well, again, let's think of the external uh, aspect of the scriptures. Um, you know, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the other 23 books uh, of the New Testament, they provide us with more information about Jesus than any other source available. And so do these documents, uh, and we need to ask ourselves, you know, do these documents record high-quality historical evidence, or do they fall short uh, when compared to other types of historical documents uh, that we have again, like the writings of Josephus and the writings of these other men that we have discussed. You know, it's it's very, very. Excuse me. The, the, the evidence is overwhelming that you know we have, uh, and we talked about this a little bit last week about how we we know we have uh, the scriptures, the the original scriptures, because there are just so many of these. Uh, ancient manuscripts uh, available to us. Uh, we, we could talk about some of the ancient works in times past. Uh, you know, you've heard of Homer, right? Uh, you know, he wrote uh, something called the, the Iliad. It was probably one of the most famous Greek books uh, available. And do you know how many copies we have of that? 643. 643, you know, fragments or pieces of this ancient book um, you know, we could talk about some other ones, uh, such as Julius Caesar's uh, famous book, Galactic Wars. Uh, we only have 10 copies of those in existence. And the earliest one uh, was written a thousand years after, you know, after it was uh, written. So we have a copy that's a thousand years old. Right. But when we talk about the scriptures uh, of the New Testament, we have over six thousand ancient manuscripts of the Greek New Testament. There's just a plethora of these out there compared to these other ancient works. And, and the, you know, the, the amazing fact is, is uh, the, these are copies that are not, you know, thousands of years apart from the original. You know, they have copies dating to the first century. Uh, not a lot of them, but they do. They have copies in the second and third and fourth and so on. Uh, these weren't written, again, written thousands of years uh, in between the two, but uh, hundreds of years or even earlier. And so, uh, you know, it's an undisputed fact that the New Testament has more historical verification on its side uh, than any other uh, book out there. But what about internally? You know, what, again, and this is, what, again, what we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. You know, what does the Bible say uh, about Jesus? And... And, and the witnesses there as well. Uh, of course, Jesus, uh, you know, Jesus is going to claim to be uh, the son of God. Jesus is going to claim to be a deity uh, multiple, multiple occasions. You know, we can think back in Luke chapter 2. Uh, you remember the, this account where, you know, Jesus is lost from his parents as they are coming back. Uh, or as his, you know, his parents are coming back home in that great caravan of people. And remember, Jesus is lost. They, they can't find him. Where is he? And so they go back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after a couple of days of searching, they find him. Uh, and he's at the temple teaching. 
And you remember what he said uh, in Luke chapter 2, verse 49? You know, he said, why is it that you're looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Right, well, they didn't grasp, uh, or they didn't grasp, you know, right away what he meant by that. You know, he, certainly that wasn't Joseph's, Joseph's uh, house, uh, but, you know, Jesus was referring to my father, my heavenly father. Uh, did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? You know, Jesus, as a young child, uh, in verse 49 of Luke chapter 2 uh, is claiming to be the Son of God. Uh, of course, uh, you know, we, we remember in Matthew chapter 16, uh, Peter, uh, Peter's great confession. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse uh, 16, when Jesus says, you know, Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Uh, because, you know, other people have said that, you know, Jesus was John the Baptist, and others have said that he was Elijah and some had said that he was Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And so Jesus looked at Peter and said, but who do you say that I am? And Jesus, of course, said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Uh, Thomas, in a, you know, this, he is an apostle we don't talk too much about. But in John chapter 20, you remember Thomas was not there that first Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead, when the apostles were gathered together. Uh, and so he wasn't there. He was missing and uh, and the apostles, the other apostles told Thomas what had happened, that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus had visited them. And you remember Thomas, he, he wouldn't believe. Right. He said, unless I see uh, those scars in his hands, at least unless I see him physically, I'm not going to believe. And so then the following Lord's Day, the following Sunday, again, they are all assembled. And this time Thomas is with them and Jesus again appears. And now Thomas believes. Right? We, we often refer to him as doubting uh, Thomas. But you remember what Thomas's great exclamation was in John chapter 20, verse 28? All right. Uh, he didn't just say, you're my Lord, but you, he said, you are my, my Lord and my God. Uh, he... Uh, he, Thomas is verifying that, that he believed that Jesus was uh, the Son of God, that he was God. Uh, the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 1, uh, in verse 1, you know, he, he, gives, he lays down uh, as he begins his epistle, uh, says, uh, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands, Concerning the word of life, and if your if your Bible translation you know capitalizes word of life, this is just a description of Jesus. Uh, John is telling us that uh, that he was with Jesus, he heard Jesus, he saw him, he touched him, um, and so uh, this rest of this letter is going to be all about him. You know, he is verifying for us that Jesus was uh, who he confirmed to be. Uh, you know, I love Luke chapter one. Uh, verses the first four verses of the, of the book of Luke. Uh, you know, Luke he stands out to me because uh, you know obviously Luke was not a a Jew. A Jew. You know, he he's the only uh, Gentile uh, who uh, wrote scripture, and, and of course he wrote the book of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts, which are you know uh, very important writings that we have. 
And I love how Luke begins his gospel account in Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 4. Uh, he says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. You know, I just love that, that uh, verse where Luke says, I've investigated everything carefully. Luke was pretty reputable, right? What was Luke's profession? Physician, right? He, he, was, he was a doctor. He was a physician. Uh, the things that he wrote, uh, we know would have been credible to the people uh, of that day. And he's writing to this man, Theophilus, about uh, Jesus. He investigated everything carefully. He, he just talked to eyewitnesses about these things so that this man, Theophilus, and, for, and also for you and I today to know the exact truth about the things that we have been taught. You know, there's really only three logical explanations as to uh, who uh, Jesus was. Uh, you know, we, we could say, uh, or it's been said, I guess, that Jesus was a con artist, right? And if that were true, uh, you know, would a sane man be willing to die for that which he knows to be a lie, right? But some people have classified him as a con, con artist. Secondly, some have classified Jesus as being crazy. Uh, again, um, you know, would, uh, these are, the, again, the explanations as to who Jesus was based on the scriptures. Either he was trying to trick people or that he was mentally um, disturbed or that he third. And I think you, we all understand that this is the, the, the only option that makes sense is that he was the Christ, that he was uh, who he said he was. So, again, we'll talk more about biblical testimony over the next couple of weeks as to what the Bible says about the deity of Christ. But then finally, I just wanted to notice some circumstantial uh, testimony. You know, how do we count time today as far as years? Yeah, so we got A.D. from the time of Christ. Uh, you know, when, when we talk about the year 100 B.C., you know, B.C. stands for before Christ, right? And so we're talking about 100 years uh, before Christ. And, and when uh, we talk about A.D., you know, that's a, a Latin word, anno domino, or domini, which means in the year of the Lord. And so there was some, I think it was a monk who at some point later in time developed this system of counting time from, you know, from the time Jesus was on earth forward and backwards. And that's how, you know, we count time today uh, that we, you know, we reference things as being, uh, you know, 1500 A.D. or, or 1500 uh, B.C. That's where our system of time comes from today. You know, that's circumstantial testimony that there must have been a man that important who lived on this earth that we would count time, base time on his life. You know, think of, uh, think of worship, right? Uh, the wor worship, worship of God uh, in Jewish history would have taken place on the Sabbath, which was what day? Saturday, right? But at some point in history, um, no longer 
uh, are the majority of people who are worshiping God worshiping on Saturdays, but they are now worshiping on the Lord's Day, on Sunday. Uh, you know, we, we understand the significance of the Lord's Day, of Sunday. Of course, this was the day that Christ was raised from the dead. This is the day that the early disciples began meeting. This is the day the church was established in Acts chapter 2. Uh, in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, we're told that the, the, the church at Troas met that day. Uh, in Act, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, when it's talking about uh, the, the collection uh, for the saints, uh, we're told there that you know, it was to be done every first day of the week. So you know, we, we understand the significance of, of Sunday, of the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. And there was this dramatic you know, change in worship from Saturday to Sunday. Again, uh, if Jesus was not a real historical person, you know, why did such uh, an event take place? You know, and then we, we can also even mention the Lord's Supper. You know, there are Christians all over the world participating in the Lord's Supper on the Lord's Day. You know, we're still doing that today. Some 2,000 years later when it was first instituted by Jesus, uh, the, the week uh, that he died, that, that we would do these things in remembrance of him. And we are still doing those things uh, today. So, again, we ask ourselves, is the life of Jesus a historical event? Uh, one, uh, uh, one scholar said this. He said, if we maintain that the life of our Lord is not a historical event, we are landed in hopeless difficulties. Because in consistency, we shall have to give up all ancient history and deny that there ever was such an event, for example, as the assassination of Julius Caesar. Right? If we're going to say that Christ never existed, then we need to be consistent and say that all these other historical events in that time period never existed as well. Because we have the, all of, again, these evidences that we've uh, talked about uh, here this morning. And you know, we understand that critics of, of Jesus and Christianity, they do not want to admit that, that, uh, that he existed or that he had this great impact upon the world. And so they will do whatever they can to... Uh, you know, put him in a corner. Uh, but we know what, you know what Paul famously said in Acts verse 26, 26, right? These things were not done in a corner, right? Uh, Christianity was not done in secret. It was done out in the open. Jesus was, uh, again, nailed to the cross in public. He, he rose from the dead. The many eyewitnesses saw and, can, and attested to those things in the first century. And the simple fact is that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. So we're going to continue in the next couple of weeks, again, looking at some of the internal evidences of the deity of Christ, you know, what Scripture says about that. Uh, but I appreciate your attendance uh, this morning. appreciate your comments. Uh, I think this was a, uh, a good class. And again, hopefully we're strengthening, uh, you know, those, uh, those pebble, those, you know, those things that we can throw pebbles into other people's shoes and get them thinking about, um, you know, the inspiration of the Scriptures and the deity of Christ. Uh, Brother Mike's uh, has got our closing, Mike Wall's got our closing prayer for us at this time.